Welcome, welcome to the Path of Revelation podcast. I'm your host, Gabriel Parker. And this is where the culture meets scripture. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm excited about tonight. Tonight is going to be a great uh, podcast slash Bible study. Um, So invite somebody, uh, whether you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, I think tonight is going to be very, very informative. Uh, We're going to be talking about the following topics tonight. Excuse me. How should the church respond to the passing of Carlton Pearson? Uh, Did Jesus come to save us from God or reconnect us with God? Does God need blood sacrifice? And then lastly, are we gods? Are we good? And so we're going to rock it out tonight. I'm excited to be back. I haven't done a podcast in a while, um, but I'm excited. What's up, Pastor Malcolm Griswold, my brother, doing great things. Reformation Church, Detroit, that's my brother. Uh, We had the chance to go to Soma School together, man. We had a ball, man. He's doing some amazing things here in the lovely city of Detroit, Michigan. Yes, sir. Uh, But we're going to get it in tonight. Um, Share this with somebody. Um, I know some of the members of Path of Revelation Church are going to be tuning in tonight as well, as well as later, uh, because this is really going to act Bible study Uh, for us as well Um, and listen tonight my purpose one of my goals tonight is for is to help encourage the body of Christ warn the body of Christ and equip the body of Christ I think very important that we not just know what we believe but why we believe what we believe and so tonight is my hope uh, to, to cover this cover these plethora of of titles of topics tonight uh, while encouraging you guys to stand for for the word of God and stand for truth and be unashamed. Amen. Amen. So listen, um, as people are gathering in, what's up, Shonda? What's up, my sister? So good to see you uh, tonight. As people are gathering in, um, I want to share a couple of testimonies um, before I get into the top topic. At hand, I've really been excited. We, um, I just celebrated along with uh, Path of Revelation Church. We just celebrated our one year uh, anniversary, church anniversary um, on November 15th. And God has been so faithful. That's been one of the reasons why I haven't really been recording podcasts because I've just been really uh, enjoying laboring and serving in uh, the local church that God has saw fit to uh, place me over as lead pastor. And so I've really been just learning and and doing life with uh, the believers at Path of Revelation Church. And it's been such a blessing to myself and my family. Um, And so that's why I haven't did a podcast in a while, but tonight, what better time? This is gonna be a great show. Um, But often people have been asking me, um, I've had a, Quite a few of my friends ask me, what's up, Willie? What's up, my brother? Thank you, Matthew. Um, I've had a couple of people ask me uh, what's some things that I've learned in my first year of pastoring. And I think the the two main things that I, I share with people that I think are vital to anybody in ministry and that I learn is, uh, is number one, that we can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. We can't, especially ministry. You can't do ministry without the Holy Spirit. I don't care how talented, how gifted you are, um, how how big of a following you have, all of that stuff doesn't matter. You can't do true ministry without the Holy Spirit. It is truly a work of the Spirit. It is His church. Um, and I don't say that lightly, and I don't say that to sound good, um, but it truly is. His church, Path of Revelation Church, is just a, a portion of a larger body of Christ. 
and and the church belongs to him and i'm just a servant leader within his church and so that's the first thing the second thing um that i've learned is the importance of being faithful over few uh for me it's been really important to be focused on uh seeing people as people and not seeing people as numbers um there's a difference between church growth and church swelling um <clears throat> for a lot of people uh church is like going to a good restaurant uh for a lot of people where they go and uh, they just the waitress if the waitress is nice and oh that waitress was nice she had a wonderful smile and they tip the waitress and they're like man i'll be back that's how people treat church but the reality is they don't know the waitress. They don't have a relationship with her. They really just go there to be served and and, and really be um, <clears throat> uh, for their enjoyment. And, and I don't I don't think that's a bad thing, but I think it's dangerous to do church that way. I think we're called to make disciples and anybody who has really engaged in making disciples understand that no great program or concert is a replacement for actually investing time in people. Discipleship is a beautiful thing, but it at times can get messy um, because you see people at their highest highs and their lowest lows. And so what I've learned is <clears throat> there's a benefit in really building a relationship with people and, and, and doing life with people and something that I've really been focusing on doing and, and, and another reason why I haven't really been really focused on putting out a podcast because I, I've been finding a fulfillment in investing time in people that I have direct influence over in real life. Social media gets kind of blurry um, and, the, and there could be a lot of voices in social media and I prefer doing life with people in real life. So so those are the two main things um, that I've learned. Um, along with a lot of other things, but those are the main things that I've learned in my first year of doing ministry. And so um, I want to jump right into it tonight. Um, I want to deal with these topics. Um, some people might ask why, why talk about Carlton Pearson. Um, and, and, and I'll say this, I'll start off the first thing I'll start by saying. Um, if you have you're tuning in tonight i'm gonna say this with the nicest places i can if you're tuning in tonight um and you've seen this title or saw the 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 flyer and you're already offended um and you've already prejudged the show before i've even said anything this may not be though for you um and and honestly you might not be my target audience anyway um I really want to influence people who have a desire to please God and have a burden for souls and have a desire to please God. <clears throat> and so that's the first thing. Uh, secondly, tonight, um, the reason why I'm talking about this is because the conversation, I didn't start the conversation. The conversation has already been started. Um, the moment people began to pay tribute to Carlton Pearson and to speak on his legacy, the conversation was started, whether they spoke about it in a positive light or a negative light. Um, and so I think that this is a good time to talk about the doctrinal things surrounding what he believed, because I believe that it influences the church today. And we've seen it in, in the amount of church leaders, not just Christians, but church leaders, pastors, uh, quote unquote, pastors, prophets, bishops, people coming out uh, celebrating his legacy, reaffirming his theology and his ministry, um, which I think is dangerous. Um, and so I want to start by saying this. I grew up in a household where we watched TBN all the time. TBN was on the television. Um, my dad played gospel music all day. I grew up on Clark Sisters, The Winans, um, Commissioned, uh, Take Six. Um, I grew up 
on Carlton Pearson's music and, and a lot of his preaching as well. I can remember just like yesterday, my dad uh, playing his music seems like from morning to night how my dad did and i'm kind of a chip off off the old block i play music over and over again not just for listening value but because i'm student music and i create music and so i digest music a, um a little different than other people but my dad would play Carlton pearson's uh albums uh all the time while he's washing the car while he's cooking, while we're on the way to church, you know, you name it. You know, Carlton was in the rotation heavily. And also, um, I listened to his preaching a lot, you know, because, again, TBN was on, on in our household quite often. Um, I, I'm very familiar with the Azusa movement. Um, I'm very familiar with the Azusa conferences. And so Carlton Pearson was really in my childhood. Um, he was someone um, that a lot of us looked up to. And I always tell people whenever I talk about uh, Carlton Pearson, um, in my opinion, he T.D. Jakes before T.D. Jakes. You know, he just he just had it all. He had the charisma. Uh, he had a multi-ethnic audience. And I mean, his influence and reach was far and wide. <clears throat> and so um, I studied his life even before his switch in his theology. And so whenever um, I see the conversation talked about how should we feel about the passing of Carlton Pearson, the first thing I would say is I think we should be able to mourn. I, I think uh, for me, I feel sadness. I feel deeply saddened, um, even more saddened because of what he believed. Um, and the thought of if he did not repent um, of his belief and place faith in the true gospel of Jesus, um, where he may be spending eternity right now. And so I am I'm deeply saddened, not just because he died, but because of that reality. And I think that we as Christians should be able to sympathize and 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 grieve over people's souls and people dying while not feeling the need to compromise truth. I'm gonna say that again because this. This is so important. We should be able to grieve people dying, especially someone who was open about preaching a different gospel. We should be able to grieve over them losing their lives while still upholding truth and not feeling the need to affirm a life and a ministry that was anti-Christ. And quite frankly, I'm going to keep it real. Like a lot of the things that I've seen has has really grieved me. Um, seeing church leaders, pastors and people of influence behind the pulpit affirming his ministry. And, 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 and we don't see this in scripture. We don't see the apostles um affirming false teachers we don't see the apostles affirming uh as i would categorize him as a wolf before he passed away people preach a different gospel and lead people astray we don't see that in church in in, in the scriptures excuse me and so i think that we should be able to mourn while upholding truth and not feel like our mourning has to cause us compromise truth. What's funny to me, and I'm going to show a, a video here in a second, but what's funny to me is most people, um, it's interesting to me, it's a couple of points I want to make. Many of the people who are quick to say, well, you can't put anyone in hell. 
which I agree. None of us have the power to throw anyone in hell or judge anybody to hell. That That is reserved for God and God alone. But what I've noticed is the same people who are quick to say you can't put anyone in hell, they're the same ones who usually turn around and are quick to place people in heaven. Hypocrisy, right? <laughs> Biblical love and compassion does not resent truth. And Jesus didn't die to save humanity. Um, um, he died to save humanity from a real hell. And yes, hell is real. Jesus risen like he said he is. That, that means he is who he said he is. And his scriptures teach that hell is a real place. Not everyone is going to heaven. This is why Jesus came and died. Um, and so um, it's interesting that a lot of people and unfortunately a lot of church leaders get more angry and mad when people talk bad about them or lie on them. And they get more mad at that than when somebody talks or lies about Jesus and his gospel. I've heard pastors tell people, don't, don't let nobody talk bad about me. But the moment that they see a false prophet or a false teacher being talked about in a biblical manner, they get defensive, even though the doctrine that's being preached is literally anti-Christ. And so what I found is a lot of times we, we become people pleasers. Um, I think a lot of the church leaders, and, and I would, I would challenge anyone listening. I don't feel bad about this and I'm going to keep it moving after I say this. If you have a pastor or a preacher or someone you're following who affirms uh, Carlton Pearson's ministry, I would question sitting up under that teaching or that person. I would question their discernment um, because of the doctrine of inclusion. And so this is where the Bible study part starts. I'm going to show a clip of um, Carlton Pearson teaching he te what he believes. Um, it's a quick 60-second uh, uh, clip that, that I think sums his theology and some of the things that he believed before he passed that many other preachers believe um, today. Um, and I'm going to talk about these things and give biblical responses to each point that he makes in the 60 seconds. Um, but what did Carlton Pearson believe and what is the doctrine of inclusion? The doctrine of inclusion basically says that everyone is going to heaven. In a nutshell, the doctrine of inclusion says that Jesus died on the cross pays for all the sins of the world, and not just that, that everyone is going to heaven whether or not they believe in Jesus or not. So that means you could be an atheist, you can serve false gods, um, you could be a, a Muslim, you can be a Buddhist, everybody's going to heaven whether, whether or not they believe or not. And so that is the doctrine of inclusion. And so tonight, I want to pull out what the Bible says about um, the doctrine of inclusion and what the true gospel is. And hope tonight is in, in doing this, my prayer is that you guys see and know what the gospel is and know how to articulate the gospel, um, but while recognizing what the gospel isn't. Um, and this is not a secondary issue. You know, I hear people talk about this as if it's a secondary issue. This is literally a distorting of the gospel. This is what the Bible calls a different gospel. Matter of fact, I want to share my screen real quick. I want you guys to turn with me to Galatians chapter one. Galatians chapter one. Um. And this is what 
Apostle Paul, he's writing to the church of Galatia, and this is what he's saying to them. Just to give you guys some context, the church of Galatia is they're beginning to wild out. They're they're beginning to wild out and go crazy. Uh, they're beginning to believe um the different doctrines and things that are not of the truth. This is what Apostle Paul says. Let's start at verse one and we're gonna read to I want to say, I want to say, I want to say, let me just get my notes. This is going to be good. It's going to get, we're going to go to verse 10, verse one. So this is Paul writing to the church of Galatia. What he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us this present age. That's the gospel. According to the will of our God and father, to whom be the glory ever and ever. Amen. Now, look at what he starts at verse six. I am astonished. He's like, man, I'm bewildered, amazed. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. You know what this lets me know? Gospel is not like build a bear. <laughs> you can't build your own. You cannot custom make the gospel to fit you. He says they're preaching another gospel, not as if there is actually another gospel. He says, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we look at this now, this is important. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. Look at this. This is harsh speech. Let him be accursed. Now, some of us would, if Paul was alive today, some of us would be like, oh, Paul, you being messy. Paul, you are being messy. He says, if you preach a different gospel, let him be accursed. Verse nine, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He, he says it again. Verse 10, for I am now seeking, look at this. This is why people start preaching another gospel a lot of times. And this is why we see a lot of preachers affirming um, a Carlton Pearson and, and the likes of him. For I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. He asked, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Listen, y'all, this is, this is important for us to understand. We're, we either want to please God or please people. Even Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace, but I can't bring a sword. sword. What Jesus was saying was, he, he wasn't saying, hey, I'm coming to purposely make people mad. But what he was saying was, I know that this gospel of the kingdom is going to be offensive. I know that it's not going to please everyone because men naturally want their own way. We as humans naturally want our own desires and our will to be done. And so Jesus said, I, I, I didn't come to get on everyone's good side. He said, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword and he says those of your own household shall be your adversaries he says i'll place 
a daughter against her mother, a father against his son, and a son against his father. And he and he's identifying that when you truly decide to follow God's way, it's going to rub some people wrong. Some of us can even identify with this in our personal lives when we decided to follow Jesus and gave our and truly gave our hearts to the Lord. We lost friends. We some relationships were strained because by 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 instantly or overnight, some of us were going in a different direction than we once were going with those who were with us. And so the gospel is offensive to some. And we as preachers, me as a pastor, if I care more about people's approval, if we care more about people's applause than we do their souls, we are not qualified to lead people. Do something else. Go join the circus or 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 go on tour singing. Do something else. We are not. I am not here. And and the role of a pastor and church leaders is not to stroke people's egos, and 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 appeal to their itching ears. But we have a responsibility to give people the truth because it is the truth that sets people free. Yes, it is the truth that sets people free. And so what is the gospel? Since we've identified and or identifying that the gospel and inclusion is a different gospel. Um, what is the gospel? Um, I want to look at John chapter three. Turn with me to John chapter three. I'm going to share my screen with you guys. John chapter three. And we're going to start. Need to refer to my notes. Man, y'all getting me excited, man. John chapter three. We're going to start at verse 16. Most people read verse 16 and they know verse 16, but they don't continue reading. This is the gospel. Look, and this is Jesus talking. This is what he says. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. Uh-oh. I thought it was everybody's going to heaven or everybody's going to make it in regardless of belief. No, Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's a gift. That whoever believes or receives it, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That right there ethers and puts to rest the gospel of inclusion. This is not a secondary issue. This is a primary issue. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him should not perish, but have, e but have eternal life. Look at this, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus died to save you. Verse 18. Whoever, look at this, catch this. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. So if you play faith in Jesus as your savior and Lord, he says you are not condemned. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But look at this. But whoever does not believed is condemned already. Uh-oh. He's but who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Verse nine. And this is the judgment. There's a judgment coming, y'all. This is why I don't have time to play these games. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, the light being Christ, and people love darkness. In other words, Jesus came to save people. He came to bring life as the light of the world, but people love the darkness, and people love the darkness rather 
than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. This is why people create a different gospel because the real gospel exposes all of evil hearts. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I don't know about y'all, but I want my works to be carried out in God. I don't care what people say. When you die, and I'm not just talking to, I'm talking to the preachers and the pastors as well. When we die, we are going to give an account for the, our lives and every word. When we die, we are going to stand before Christ by ourselves. Salvation, we're not going to be judged off of a group project. <laughs> when I was in school <laughs> and in college, sometimes I would lean on people in group projects. I would lean and, and, and stroke the ego of who I thought, whoever I thought was the smartest one, because I knew if the smartest one was motivated, we were all going to pass. <laughs> well, judgment is not a group project. When you stand before God in judgment, you're going to stand by yourself. And he's going to look at what did you believe about the gift of my son? Did you believe or did you not? And that is what it is. And so I want to share really quickly a clip of Carlton Pearson. And then I want to respond to each point that he makes in the video. Consciousness. Reality whatever that is we like to believe that I'm without finish say this I don't know how to arrive I just know how to keep on going when the soul outgrows the flesh this human costume or wardrobe you go into the next consciousness the next reality whatever that is we like to believe that it's beautiful Jesus did not come to save people from God. <laughs> didn't come to protect us from God, but to reconnect us to God in consciousness and in conversation. God doesn't really need sacrifices, not really. That's what we made up out of our fear-based theologies. You're God. You're good. You're divine. You came here to experience, express, and expose your divinity. Hug yourself one more time. Love me. Come on, I love me some me. <laughs> so turn. Now listen. Did y'all hear that? <laughs> Give me some thumbs up if you heard, heard, heard though, heard what he said. If you heard the clip, just give me some thumbs up in the chat. I want to make sure you guys were able to hear it. Man, yep, he got all the buzzwords, BC. And look, I'm not just listening to what he said. I'm looking at all the people who were listening to him. These are souls at stake. So one of the first things that he said was Jesus didn't come to save us from God, but to reconnect us with God. So this is the first question. Did Jesus come to save us from God or reconnect us with God? My answer to that question is both. Both. Jesus came to save us from God to God. I want to share my screen with you guys because we're going to go to the scripture. I want you guys to turn with me to Romans chapter five, Romans chapter five, Romans chapter five. And we're gonna read from verse six 
through 11. Now, this is answering the question, did, did Jesus come to save us from God or reconnect us with God? Here's what the Bible says. Verse 6. For while we for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Who is the ungodly? That's you and I. Jesus died for the ungodly. Verse seven. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even die. Verse eight. God shows his love. There it is. For God so loved the world. But God shows his love for us in, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. What does justified means? Justified means made innocent. We were all guilty in God's court. The Bible says in Romans 3, 23, and I'll read that later. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we were all guilty. He says, since therefore we have now been justified by what? By his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. God has a wrath. I'm going to say that again. God has a wrath. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. And so we are saved from God, but saved to God. What, is, what do I mean by that? I'm reminded of Isaiah 53 and 10. And Isaiah, and man, it's so good, Sherry. I know, man, that's a good place to say hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Look, I, I, don't, I ain't opposed to taking praise breaks, man. God, thank you for saving me when I was in my sin, when I was living for myself. Thank you. I needed saving, man. But I'm reminded of Isaiah 53 verse 10. It is a prophetic writing. The prophet Isaiah talks about Jesus and he talks about how it was the will of God to bruise or crush him, referring to Jesus. In the King James, it'll say, it pleased God to crush him. In layman's terms, it pleased God to crush his son. Now, some of us might be like, man, it, God was happy to crush Jesus? Because that's what Jesus, on the cross, he suffered and he, he took the wrath of God on the cross for our sin. Hope you understand that's the gospel. That's what we just read just now in Romans. Jesus took the wrath of God on our behalf. The book said Isaiah 53 verse 10 that it pleased the father to bruise his son. And what why did it please God? Because the debt was paid. He saw that the price God saw you and I salvation. He saw the debt being paid. He saw that we wouldn't have to pay for our own sin. And so that's why he was pleased by the offering. Because the offering of Christ was a perfect offering. Unlike the bulls and goats and the lambs that were offered daily in the, in the temple. But Jesus was perfect sacrifice and he died once and for all. We don't need to take lambs and bullocks and goats to a high priest and have them sacrifice on behalf of our sins anymore. But Jesus paid it all. So 
The next question um, and the next point that Carlton Pearson made, he said that God does not need blood sacrifice. And so the question I would ask is, does God need blood sacrifice? Does God need blood sacrifice? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. I can go to a lot of scriptures to pull this out, but what I, I like about Hebrews chapter 9, uh, starting at verse 19, what I love about Hebrews 9 is it shows a, a beautiful parallel between the Old and the New Covenant, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, and I don't think it's just a matter of God needing blood sacrifice, but I I think it's the wrong phrasing. I, I don't, I'm not crazy about that phrasing, even though I'm not mad at it. I think the better question is, did, does God require blood sacrifice? Um, and I think the better and more accurate question pointing to the actual answer, did God require blood sacrifice let's look at Romans. um excuse me hebrews chapter 9 verse 19 look at what the writer of hebrews says he says for when every commandment of the law had been declared by moses to all the people he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. What is he doing? He's he's purifying them. He's cleansing them. Verse 20, saying, this is the blood of covenant that God commanded for you. If you understand what a covenant is, this is the IG one-on-one. A covenant is basically a spiritual contract between man and God. So blood was covenant. He said, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. So they weren't just sacrificing and uh, shedding blood for no reason. It was a commandment from God. Verse 21. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Verse 22. Indeed, under the law, Almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood. Look at this. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is Bible, y'all. It gets no more clear than that. And so Jesus shed his blood as a payment for our sins. And it's important that we understand that um, because it's easy to um, get into theology and things that sound good. I think what we saw in the video with Carlton Pearson and, and, and people who are familiar with his ministry, there are a lot of preachers um, and, and orators who have amazing charisma and and are are kind or have a nice continence about them but i always tell people heresy with a smile is still heresy i'm gonna say that again heresy with a smile is still heresy i don't care how nice the person may seem i don't care um how, how good they make you feel it's not about how you feel. It's about what is true. And so does God need blood sacrifice? God required blood sacrifice. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. We no longer need a blood sacrifice. His blood still prevails today. Hallelujah. And so the last point that was made on the video is we are gods. You are divine. In, in apologetics, and all my brothers on here and, and those who are into apologetics, 
Um, if you've ever dealt with Mormonism, Jehovah Witness, um, even a lot of sects of Hebrew Israelites, what you'll find in a lot of cults, ultimately you are a God or you become a God at some point in time. And so what happens a lot of times, you'll hear some people who proclaim to be Christians, like in the video, where they will say, tell you, you are God. And where do they get that from? Um, it's a twisting of scripture, actually. I want where they get that from is John chapter 10, verse 34. And I'm going to share my screen with you. But if you would turn with me to John chapter 10, verse 34. And I'm going to I want to show you guys how to context read, because for me, it's important not just to teach people the Bible, but it's important to teach you how to read the Bible uh, and context is important. But usually what people do is they go down to verse 34 and they hijack verse 34. This is Jesus. Jesus answered them. Is it not written in your law? I said you are God's. And then what they do is people take that scripture and say, see, we're gods. You you are a little God. You are divine. And they and, and they'll even connect the um, the the beginning where, where Adam, where God breathed his breath into Adam and see, see, we have God in us. All everybody has God in them. Every, you, you, that makes you a God here. Here's the understanding that we have to have the context um of john chapter 10 verse 30 first and foremost jesus was speaking with the jews in the temple during the feast of dedication and we're telling and and, and basically the jews in the temple they were challenging jesus and saying are you christ prove that you are the christ are you the Christ? And Jesus responds to them and says, I already told you I'm the Christ. I already told you. And he says, if you don't believe the works that I do, you're not going to. What more? Basically, what more do I need to show you and say? Because what I've said and showed you is not enough. And so let's look at verse 30. I want to show you guys at verse 30. This is Jesus talking. I and the father are one. <laughs> Look at this. Verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. So they wanted to stone Jesus to death for him saying that I and the father are one. They were they, now remember, they're saying, prove that you're the Christ. And he says, I already told you, I already showed you. I told you and I showed you. And then he says, I and the father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the father. He says, I'm showing you I'm legit. Which of them are you going to stone me? Verse 33, the Jews answered him. It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you being a man, look at this, you being a man, make yourself God. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, is it not written in your law? I said, ye are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be broken, Oh, you say of him whom the father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God. Look, I want to pull something out. This is why context is important. Verse 34. Jesus said, "It is it not written in law? I said you are God's. What is Jesus talking about? Jesus is talking about. Psalms 82. I want to look at Psalms 82. Jesus is quoting Psalms 82. 
And I want to point out the context of Psalms 82 to see if if Jesus was actually um, saying that we are deity or saying that we are gods or if he was making another point. So Psalms 82, let's look at this. This Don't miss it. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's only eight verses. So the context of Psalms 82 is God is dealing with wicked judges. These are wicked judges. Verse one, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. Listen, this word here, gods, in the original Hebrew is Elohim. It Elohim is a term that can be used for the for Yahweh or Jehovah or the true and living God. But Elohim can also be used for God's agents or those who are chosen to carry out judgment in the earth. So in other words, it can be used for presidents. It can be used for princes. It can be used for kings or any person who sits in a place of authority. And so God has taken his place in divine council in the midst of the gods or Elohims. He holds judgment. Look at this. Verse two. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Give justice to weak and the fatherless. He's judging wicked. I want to I want to paint this picture. I want to make sure you guys are getting this. These judges were wicked. These kings and these judges were wicked. They were taking advantage of people. They were judging uh, wrongly and unjustly. He says, give justice to the weak and the fathers. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Verse four, rescue the weak and needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Verse five. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. Verse six, I said, ye are gods. This is what Jesus was quoting. I said, you are gods, son of the most high, all of you. Nevertheless, catch this. Nevertheless, like men. You shall die and fall like any prince. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. So this chapter, God is judging the wicked judges of the nations. He's not saying you are deity. He's saying you are wicked judges. So why is Jesus quoting Psalms 82 in John 10, 34? He's quoting John 10. He's quoting Psalms 82 in John 10, 34, because he's pointing out the fact that the Jews who are trying to stone him are wicked judges. He's saying, I showed you that I'm the son of God. I've shown you that. I, by many works that I am from, that I am come from the father and you are looking to stone me. And so he quotes Psalms 82 to marry the wicked judges or the wicked people that are trying to stone him in 1034. He marries them with the wicked judges who have bad judgment in Psalms 82. That is the context, my people. He wasn't saying that you are divine. You are not a little God. You, We don't deserve worship. Scripture lets us know that there is only one God, one true and living God. Even in Corinthians, Paul says all idols are nothing. Paul says false gods are nothing. And actually, he says demons are behind idol worship and false god worship. And so anytime you see someone running around, I don't care if they're in a church pulpit and if anybody running around and saying, yeah, we are gods, we're gods. 
best believe that's a doctrine of demons and the devil is behind it. Are y'all getting something out of this tonight? So come on now. Somebody let me know. Praise God. Um, and the last question. Are we good? Are we good? Because the last thing he says, you're God's and you are good. Well, Jesus said something interesting in Matthew 7, verse 11, and Luke chapter 11, verse 13. He says this to his own disciples. If you being evil know how to give good gifts, much more your father in heaven who cares for us. Um, will give us the Holy Spirit and not withhold it. And so if this causes his own disciples evil, <laughs> what about us outside who are outside of Christ? Um, the question is, are we good? And this is going to be the last scripture. Let's look at Romans chapter three. You will turn with me to Romans chapter three. This is why we need the gospel, y'all, as well. This last question is why many people reject the gospel. Um, because usually as people, we have a tendency to judge ourselves by our own standards. But see, when we stand before God in judgment, we are not going to be judged by our own standards. We're going to be judged by God's standard. And I love how I heard somebody put it this way. They said, um, sin or offenses are judged not ba just based off of the offense, but who the offense is against. In other words, I heard somebody use this analogy yesterday. They said, if you slap somebody on the street, you may get beat up or, or chased, but if you slap the president, you're going to spend a lot of time in, pr in prison, not, not because of the just the offense, but who the offense is against. How much more we sin against the God of heaven who is perfect. And so it's important for us to understand that God is holy and his standard of righteousness, his standard of goodness is perfection. And the Bible lets us know none of us are perfect. All of us need a savior. Look at this. Let's look at Romans chapter three, verse 22. It says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus. Me, I'm, the righteousness of God. Hold on one second. I want to make sure I'm not missing up. Okay. Indeed, we're going to start at verse... Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Y'all catch that? So the righteousness of God, what through what? Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So who are the righteous? Those who believe. For there is no distinction. Look at this. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what that means? We're all guilty. We all need a savior. Verse 24, and are justified, there go that word again, are justified by his grace as a gift. You know what that means? A gift, you can either receive it or reject it. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. The word propitiation means payment. Jesus literally paid for us with his blood. It's like standing before a judge and you are guilty. You did the crime and someone comes in and pays your fine. Though you did the crime because the fine was paid, you can walk free. That's what Jesus did on the cross. It says, whom God put for as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
How do we receive it? By faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Listen, this is this is this plain. This is plain work. This is the gospel, y'all. We need the righteousness of God. And how we receive the righteousness of God is by faith in Jesus Christ. This is plain and simple. This is plain and simple. And so if someone comes along and say, hey, everybody's going to heaven. You don't have to believe in Jesus. Everybody's going to heaven. What does that say about God? God is not going to punish evil. God is not just. God, if God is truly loving and a God of love and God is love, then that means he has to be a God of justice. Because if he is truly a God of love, he has to repay sin. Many of us were um, sinned against. Uh, the devils in hell have been raging in our families and going crazy uh, and through generational habits and things that have occurred. You mean to tell me God is not going to judge sin? And so it's best that we trust in Jesus. I like how, I love how Ray Comfort puts it. He says, put on the parachute. We're all about to jump out of a plane. Why not put on the parachute? Why try to flap your arms? Why try to get into heaven by your own works? It's not going to work because our our righteousness is but filthy rags. One sin against a holy and a perfect God because of who we've sinned against is deserving of eternity in hell. But thank God for Jesus. That is what grace is. It's unmerited favor. It isn't deserved. It's undeserving favor. That is what grace is. This is why we all need grace. And so why try to flap your arms when you could just put on the parachute and trust in the parachute, not yourself? And so God bless you, Sherry. Tell Jim I said, what up? Love you guys. I appreciate y'all tuning in. And listen, I want you guys to, um, I'm, I'm done for tonight. Um, I pray that you guys got something out of this. Um, please share this with someone. Um, someone needs to hear this. I believe this is going to be a blessing to somebody. Um, uh, please join us this Sunday as we worship um, at 10 a.m. From 10 to noon, we usually out by, by noon. I'm going to put the address on the screen of the church, uh, Path of Revelation Church, uh, worshiping in the beautiful city of Fernhill, Michigan. Hold on one second. I'm going to post it on the screen for those who may watch now or watch later. Um, but pray for us, y'all. You know, we we have a lot of work to do and, and God has been faithful. Um, I pray that you guys uh, stand for truth and that you guys are bold and 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 my my prayer as of late especially as compromise and is on the rise is that we as a church stand for the word of god that we stand for truth that we stand for truth um and 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 all of this people pleasing stuff I would rather please God than man. So please pray for me because I'm, I'm aware that I am human. Um, we as humans can tend to care too much about what people think. But pray for me that I stay before the feet of Jesus and that I seek his approval above man. And I and I pray that you guys help me stay accountable um, and I, I and as well as my church family as well. I love you guys. Share this with somebody. Listen, this has been an episode of the Path of Revelation podcast. This is where the culture meets scripture. Until next time, see you guys and I love you.